Welcome back then to Fast Ship Performance, and I'm Tim Davies, and I've got a guy here today uh, who I've known for a while now, Carl Vaughan. Uh, we're going to have a chat with him. This would be pretty useful for those of you who are going in and looking at joining the military in the uh, flying community, because that's exactly what Carl's doing. Carl, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks Tim, yourself? Yeah, not too bad actually, buddy. I really appreciate you coming on and, and chatting to me and stuff. It's great to have someone that's actually in the process of joining the military. And when people ask me about OSC or AIB, um, I did both. Uh, I know you've done both, but for me, it was about 20 years ago. I think it was 1997 or something when I last did it. So I expect <laughs> that changed a bit now. So I don't want to explain that to people. So what have you done then? What did you do first out of those two? So I did OASC first. That was uh, September last year. Um, I went and did that. Yeah. Uh, and then I did AIB in June this year, it was. Now, we were talking uh-huh. for a while, weren't we, about this um, back then, as I do talk to a lot of guys and girls that are, are trying to do this. Obviously, that's what I started the site for, is to kind of just tell people what the inside of the military is looking at for people that were looking to join. I think it's better that way. Um, I do remember you going through that. And then, of course, we had a conversation, didn't we, saying, let's not forget about the other service. You don't have yeah, to yeah. just join one. Is that why you went and had a look at the other one then? Yeah, I mean, really, I'd never really thought about joining the Navy as a pilot um the whole way through i mean being an air cadet you sort of assume that the raf is the natural progression for you um but after not being successful at oasc um i think it was it was about time that i looked into other options i mean the raf told me to wait a year basically and then i could reapply sort of six months later and go back to oasc in a year's time uh or i thought um what are my other options so i called the the careers office up at, at Wrexham, which is my local careers office and uh, spoke to them there and said, look, you know, if I failed OASC or, you know, I've not been successful for the RAF, does that, is there a time limit on applying for the Royal Navy? And they said, no, um, no, you're, you're fine to, to apply now. And I've, I've, I've got friends who, well, I've got a friend who applied for both services and, and now he's a, a Navy pilot. So, you know, I'd advise, I'd advise people definitely now having been through both to, to, to give, a, give a, both of them a try, really. Yeah, so I don't know whether you uh, saw, I put a post up on one of my Facebook things about um, the first F-35s landing on the Queen Elizabeth, of course. And uh, yeah. the two pilots, one was Nath Gray, who was a Navy guy I used to fly with back in training. Uh, and then the other guy was Andy Edgell, who I went on a ski trip with him, but the, he's in test and he's an Air Force guy. So you've got yep. a Navy guy and an Air Force guy both flying these jets onto um, the Queen Elizabeth. So in that respect, you know, this is this is the whole thing about that particular community. And we've got Navy guys flying Typhoon now. And it's all the, all the jet guys come through the same flying training pipeline. So um, yeah, that's, and well, actually helicopters as well, to be honest with you. So uh, it's very much a mixed community. So I, I do say to people, look, don't neglect the other services now. They, we're doing very, very similar things. Um, there's different histories, obviously, and everything like that. But it's quite interesting that you went from the other. Can we go back even further then? Because I think this is sure. where the interesting things come in. This is where we get the detail. And what I'm interested in is, so what do you do during like your teenage years then? I mean, like cadets and everything else that led you into um, that further education and what, what kind of quals did you get and stuff? How did it work out? So I've always wanted to be a pilot from as, as far back as I can remember, really. Um, and then go through, going through high school, I didn't really gear things too much towards being a pilot because I don't think, you know, in, in terms of qualifications, because I don't think... You know, people used to say, oh, you need to go and do maths and physics, and that's a, that's an important one. You need them to, to get into the services. Well, you know, you can go and get any sort of GCSEs. You can get GCSEs as long as they're the, 
the basic English maths and science, I think it is, that you need. I'm not sure. I think it might be English and maths. Um, and then, you know, your further education. So I did um, A-levels. Um, I did, what did I do? I did geography. Um, I just enjoyed geography. I didn't really do it because, you know, everyone says, oh, you need, what about geography for the service, for, for being a pilot? No, I just did geography because I enjoyed it. And then I did law as well. Um, and what's called Welsh Baccalaureate, which is um, a Welsh government um, qualification that you have to do and you, it involves you, you know, look, finding things in the community and learning about Wales and learn about other things and putting that all together and, it, you know, um, and you get your, your, your A-level qualification from that. Then going on from there, um, I never went to university. Uh, I, well, I applied to go to university to do law. Again, nothing to do with the services. At the time, the RAF weren't hiring. The Navy were, but I, I didn't even think to look at the Navy at the time. So, um, you know, I, I looked at the RAF. They said we're not hiring pilots. And at the time, I also had braces, which you can't join the services with braces, um, despite my asking uh, and sending various letters. They said, no, you have to finish your orthodontic treatment before you can join. So I looked at going to university, applied to go to university to do law, and I also uh, applied for an apprenticeship at an international law firm, which I uh, was offered both and took the apprenticeship just because I thought if I'm going into law, going into law these days, training contracts, which is the things that you need. Um, so you do your degree and then you do your legal practicing certificate and then you have to go and do what's called uh, a training contract, but they're very competitive. To give you an example, our firm, the firm that I work at, uh, the year I started for my apprenticeship, they had 1,200 applicants and 12 people selected. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Crazy. So, yeah. So, so that's how competitive they are. Um, so I thought if I can get my foot in the door with a law firm, then, you know, happy days. So uh, the apprenticeship was a level three certificate in the Chartered Institute of Legal Executives, which is an alternative qualification into law. Um, but then, you know, I've been at the firm five years now, and it was probably maybe two or three years ago that I thought, you know, my braces are off. Why aren't I following what I really want to do? And that's, you know, go and join the services and be a pilot, or even just join the services, to be honest. Um, I don't think the sitting behind a desk job is is really for me, but... Um, no, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I get what you're saying there because um, I think a lot of people think the sitting behind a desk job isn't for them necessarily. And of course, I'm doing that right now. By the way, you know, I've, yeah. I just got out of the cockpit and I'm now sitting behind a desk. And even though I was doing lots of air combat and everything like that, and neck issues I had whilst I was flying, I seem to be having more now than I had when I was flying jets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got to, it's, what am I doing differently while well, I've been sitting behind a desk for like the last six months or something? You know, I'm like, oh, I get it. So maybe air combat isn't as bad as sitting behind a desk. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's success though, isn't it? You getting one of those. So that was one of the 12 places you got then on that apprenticeship. Is that right? No, there was only actually five on our oh. apprenticeship, five or six on our apprenticeship. Okay. Um, we were the first cohort uh, of, of guys to go through our firm. Um, I think we were probably the second or third to go through in the UK. Yeah. Then um, I'm the only one left now. Others have gone on to either you know study university or I think a couple of them decided to go travelling. Okay. Um, one of them wanted a completely different change in career, and I think he's gone to do a business degree or something like that. So, um, you know, I met a few different mixed bag of people really, but they yeah. all yeah. went on and do do their own thing, and I think. I will be, there'll be none, none, none of my cohort left. The firm is certainly still, you know, employing apprentices. And if I'm honest, it seems to be more popular thing. I think it's a lot more competitive than when I did it. And the, the grades have gone up 
as well um, for just basic entry to, especially to our firm. Um, now, okay. and I think the, the government are pushing apprenticeships, aren't they? A lot more. Yeah. I know the air force, the air force yeah. are offering, and the navy, and I don't know about the army. Um, you know, they, I would have been sort of maybe two or three years off qualification if I'd have I'd have stayed. At, yeah. But like I, you know, I've I've sort of told the firm that maybe um, because I'm applying for the services, and I've been quite open and honest with them. Um, I'd rather that way than, than try and hide it and then pay for me to, to do a qualification that I may never ever need again in the future. Yeah. Um, I just feel like, you know, I'd have to put the study time in as well. So it's wasting my time and their time and money at the same time. So, so you're um, looking at the forces, but you said as well that you, cause I was, ch- you said that you'd rather go into the forces, even if it wasn't in a flying capacity to a certain extent, obviously you want to explore that first and that's yeah, sure. understandable. I, I was um, doing some training with some people this week. I was up uh, working for a big pharmaceutical company, and I really like the fact they've um, – I think I mentioned this in something I did on the 12 Months program uh, last night. In fact, put that one out. I like the fact that they were uh, a real professional bunch of guys and girls in their mid-30s, but one of the guys was chatting to me, a guy called Mark, and he was like uh, – he played a lot of rugby, um, and he was doing this job he did for like 12 years, and he re- always regretted not going into the military. Yeah. So he said, with hindsight, he would like to have gone in. And I think a lot of that is about just going into the military and just testing yourself for a few years, finding out who you are um, in, a, in a quite a controlled environment, and then coming out, having that as your background, and then moving on. Do you see what I mean? So I kind of understand yeah, yeah. why you're saying you just like to be involved in that kind of lifestyle, even if it's in a non-flying capacity. And you, when you went to AIB, they did offer you one of those roles, didn't they? That's right, yeah. They offered, they offered me air traffic control officer, um, which was... which is one of the options I put down anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, they said, if, if, if we can't offer you pilot would you consider any of the roles in the Navy? Uh, and, I th- you know, I think it is an exciting time for air traffic control officers at the moment in the Navy because you've got the new carriers coming on online, so they're going to need guys to go for that. You've got, you know, the two naval air stations, and from what I understand, Navy guys can go and sit in RAF towers yeah. as well, and, yeah. you know, there'll be Navy guys at Marham controlling F-35s, just like the Air Force guys, and, um, I th- you know, but... Being, I'm only 23, and the cutoff age for pilots, what, 26 or yeah, something like that? 26, so, that's right, yeah. So, so I you, thought, why not? Why, you know, why give it up on the first chance just because they've they've offered me something else? If if they clearly want me to be an officer in the navy, so why can't I do the role that I want to do? Yep, um, yep, and that's fine. And so, what do they say to you? They said, um, okay, well, that's great, thanks for that, and uh, we'll take the scores that you had, and we're going to put them up against the next board or something, wasn't it? Is that what they said? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So um, I think it's much. I think the Air Force do the same. That if you don't, if you aren't successful, or you aren't selected for the next um, for the for the next entry, they will put you back into the pool or the pot, and then a bunch of other guys will sit in that three month period. I think it is for the Navy. So uh, everyone will go and do their AIBs who are going for pilot. Then they'll sit down again the selection board uh, and they'll decide who is going to be selected for the next entry Uh, and again if you're not successful then then you'll just go back in the pot and i I think you can keep going i can't remember how long you can keep going for but it's until i think it's until your your aptitude test runs out and you have to go and redo that yeah um but you did actually test you did them with for oasc for the first time you went you didn't do them again for the navy did you I so the Navy do one extra two extra tests okay. for um, their that for observer or something is it what is that for? yeah observe, okay. observer candidates yeah okay. so if you've applied no matter what you will have to go to Cranwell and sit those two tests I think okay. they amount to like half an hour but you know even so you have to go and do them because you may be considered for the observer role 
so, I mean, I didn't do particularly well on the observer aptitude test anyway. Um, but yeah, I, the aptitude test again, that was, I did that with the RAF and that was a long day uh, really? for those guys. Who, for really? those guys who, for those guys who've done it, they will, uh, understand what I'm saying. Um, but I mean, it's what, I think you start something like half seven in the morning and you probably finish maybe four o'clock in the afternoon, half past three, something like that. Yeah. And you get, you get the, the odd break every hour, I think it is. Um, and you get your 45 minute lunch. But other than that, it's constant behind a, behind a screen, computer screen, doing all sorts of tests, um, testing your sort of hand-eye coordination, numerical reasoning. Yeah. A friend of mine recommended an app called Lumosity. Yeah. I use that. Uh, like a, yeah. 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 Um, and then there's the OASC speed distance time calculator uh-huh. uh, online. I'd recommend that as well. Um, and I just downloaded a, a Quickfire Maths app for my phone. I, I can't remember what it's called, but I'm sure there's plenty out there. Yeah, yeah. And and that's just it. Just fires really simple maths questions, but you know, ex- expects you to answer them really quickly, which is one of the tests at OASC. And there's also the Pilot Aptitude test, which is the the clan test. You know, the with the colours that pass yeah. across the screen and remember yeah. the letters and stuff. So um yeah i'd recommend that one as well they sound um they sound very similar to what i did and i suppose it doesn't change that much and the reason that they do that for the entire day is because they want to test your resilience as well that's the whole point so yeah there's no point breaking it up because you don't get a chance to break it up in the air do you so they're trying to say to you look you know do we see a, a degradation in your performance as the day goes on or is it pretty much consistent throughout the day so there's all that so if you've done those tests i'm assuming for oesc and you're within the same time frame you wouldn't need to repeat them if you went to aib would you not for the pilot ones. Just no, you just have just to go and do, sit that observer battery section yeah, of exactly. it. But other than that, um, no, you just you, you just use those scores if you write to them. And I think again with medical, if you pass your medical for the RAF, um, you can authorize the RAF to release that information to the Navy. So I didn't have to go and sit into the medical with. Oh, that's uh, excellent. With, you um you already had your girlfriend's already in the military. She's already joined up. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So and what's she doing uh, now then? So she's in the RAF police. Um, she went RAF police. And she's finished Halton, and she's in a she's in the first five weeks of um, of RAF police training. So she's in this sort of section two of it, which is legislation. Okay. Um, which, by all accounts, sounds pretty difficult. So that's yeah. You basically have to learn verbatim all of the different laws um, that you mainly use. So things like theft act, defences against a person, criminal justice act. Okay. They're, they're sort of and they're military counterparts as well um so the, there's there's lots to it and i think um the legislation part is probably the bit that she's finding most difficult at the moment yeah uh, and if you um, if you go to dartmouth you'll have to learn the rules of the road so um because as we know you'll be a naval officer first then pilot second which is yeah, the same absolutely. in the air force is the same you're an officer first and then pilot second and we all know that and i try and get that across to people as well is that you might be joining as a pilot but actually you're an officer first it's one of those things so, um, but she used to, uh, she, she wrote to me a couple of times because she's very interested in your, um, your ambition, of course, to fly. So she used to write to me and ask me to get you books. And she, so you re- <laughs> she did, yeah. <laughs> I was she like, did do that, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I'd recommend some books for you or like to read. So um, that was quite interesting. And we can go through that a bit later. So insofar as OSC and AIB, did you find them quite similar in the, in the content outside of the aptitude test insofar as the interviews and everything else that you did? Yeah, I mean, um, the, the the way the way the navy do it and the way the the air force do it is slightly different in that at OASC you you do your planning exercises a bit more split so you do your group planning exercise um, as a as a group as it may suggest and then you do sort of an easier individual planning x 
Well, okay. I, I found that the, the information that they give you for the individual plan annex, I think, is slightly more basic, um, just so you can formulate a plan by yourself. Whereas the Navy give you some time to read, uh, then you're going and discuss it as a group, and then you have to go away. The the boarding officers will then question you and and ask you some sort of questions to steer you in the right direction, and then you'll have to go off individually and write up, type up on the computer a plan um, that you'll they'll you'll use. So it's sort of all in one go rather than um, yeah. as two different exercises. The the Air Force do an additional thing that's the the group debate. So that's where you sit as a group. Uh, so there's I think there's usually five in your syndicate, um, and you sit as a group and they just give you three different topics um, all separately, and you have to I think it's three, and you have to debate those with um, your fellow candidates. Um, so having a good a good knowledge of current affairs um, and a very broad knowledge as well. Don't just think reading BBC News and um, other various news sites online is going to be enough to just on your lunchtime to just past that uh, you know i they recommended at my p2 interview that you get a subscription to the week magazine yeah i used to read the week in fact you're yeah. absolutely right we used to get on the squadron for that reason because it's a very easy digest isn't it very small yeah. snippets so um that's good that they recommended that actually yeah it's not a bad magazine yeah i mean i i, I probably i didn't do that at the time and, and looking back maybe i should have now um i just thought i'd you know, they did recommend it, but they never said, "Oh, yeah, you you should do this." Yeah. And I think look looking back now, um, after finishing the group debate, I thought, well, I really should have should have maybe got that subscription and and listened to what they said. Um, yeah, it's not an expensive thing. It just takes um, bits from different newspapers, really. So you're not yeah. aligning yourself. One of the questions we used to get asked, because of course back in '97. I think the internet was around, but not like it is now. You know, it was the BBS or whatever it was back then. But um, yep. we used to have lots of newspapers, of course. So they used to ask you what newspaper you read. And, of course, it's a very polarizing uh, question, really. And I, I think I was reading The Telegraph at the time, and they, they yep. came straight out and said, are you a conservative then? <laughs> I said, I, I, I'm, 20, I'm 22 years old. <laughs> I don't think I'm conservative. I don't know what it, I don't. I don't know. They used to read it like, and then one of the guys was like, well, are you a socialist? I mean, do you ever read? I'm like, I don't know. I just read The Telegraph. It's easy to read. But um, yeah. so I remember them launching on that. But that's the thing. So if you can get, as you said, a, a broad cross-section of, uh, of different news articles or whatever, that's going to help, isn't it, in the long run? Yeah, absolutely, and and it's it's about forming an opinion as well. Don't worry about don't worry too much about whether what you're saying is right or wrong. Worry more about can you back your opinion up um, with you know with facts or or even just persuasion. Um, you know, if someone if 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 everyone in the group is agreeing the same thing, it's going to make for a pretty poor group debate. So play devil's advocate if if you need to, and you know take the completely opposite view to what everyone else in the group saying because the boarding officers aren't bothered about you know what you think it's it's more how you get it across and how you can debate that with with your peers yeah well that's it it's interesting because i was thinking about the crew and now i'm out of it and what the crew actually does we don't tend to the bar life that used to be quite prevalent i think well you probably you were talking earlier about john dunn who was on my last podcast and he was talking about human factors and how that used to be socialized in in the bar in the evenings um, yeah. We don't really do that anymore, and it's probably for the right reasons, uh, because obviously to get in an airplane after a night on on the beers is not the right thing to do. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, we used to do quite a bit of that, really. But um, that's where you used to learn uh, all about all this stuff, and you could argue that that's where you always have these debates and everything else. But I realised 
with the crew now that you're kind of preaching to the converted really everyone's the same you know you're yeah. you're selected in that top one percent whatever it might be and you've had the same schooling and the same kind of home life and you're very much conditioned and, and the reason i'm saying this is now i'm working outside the military i realize that people are very very different and how we communicate now in uh, in a workspace is quite critical because people will just get wound up super you know and we're obviously quite confrontational because that's how we've been trained to be so yeah i'm quite careful of that but it's interesting that you're saying about you know how they debate what else did we do then on that you had a medical you had all those things you spoke about you did your aptitude tests what was the answer what was the idea of that they said um okay so after you've done all these things they say we'll go away and we're going to contact you within a time frame and then we'll let you know is that how it works yeah so it's i think i think it's generally for the air force i think it's three weeks oh really um yeah i've got a buddy who's just been through oasc now for was up i think it is uh-huh. and he um he was told three weeks um should be around three weeks but then it could be longer it could be shorter i think it all again all depends on where you are in that um okay. sort of selection sequence so you know there are guys who are going through aib at the moment who will be told all right three weeks if they go next week they'll be they'll be told three weeks because that's when the next selection board is i see yeah yeah um whereas you know guys two months ago were going through that i'm going to be told well three months for you yeah that's your wait um, that makes sense they're right at the beginning aren't yeah. they so they're waiting for yeah that makes sense it's interesting because when i went through um i didn't make my first ib i was doing my i was doing my finals at my academic history wasn't that great anyway so the last thing i want to do is go and fail my degree so i prioritized my degree which was the right thing to do obviously so i came out with yeah. an engineering degree which is great but um i failed the ib i got one of the lowest scores i'd ever seen so they said look go away uh, have a think about another career in something else because i don't think you're suited for the navy but if you want to apply come back in a year's time yeah. And it was only, I might have written about this before, it was only my dad, who was a, a ex-Royal Marine, he was a police officer at the time, he's ex-Royal. After about six months, I was doing all the things they told me to do, which is like get involved in some more teamwork, because we haven't really seen that on you, yeah. even though I was doing long-range patrolling competitions with the officer training corps. But I went away, joined Portsmouth rugby team, just got beaten up for six months, basically. And then after that time, he said, look, just give him a call again. Just tell him that you've, you've worked hard at yourself, and can you come back and try again? And so I went back after six months. I didn't yeah. do the full year. And that's the great thing about the Navy. I, I'm i not saying the Air Force doesn't have it, but I found a lot of flexibility with the AIB that I didn't find with OASC. I felt OASC was more of a process, whereas AIB seemed to be the boarding team sat around going, oh, that guy's called again. Why don't we drag him back and see whether we can put him in somewhere, you know? I know yeah, I mean, I, I, I did um, email the RAF sort of four or five months, maybe a little bit less, into yeah. how, you know, how long I'd, after after not being successful and i said look you know i've been to i've, I've been to a debating society um no i've been to a speakers club oh yeah uh, i started you know I, i've joined i joined the air cadets civilian instructor i'm a training officer now yeah. um i've started doing brazilian jiu-jitsu you know i'm, I'm, I'm getting out there i'm trying to yeah. build because they basically they basically said um that i was a bit of a slow burner okay so so the first sort of two or three well, it's more the first two activities. I, I didn't really contribute much, but towards the end of the day, I, I came out and, um, you know, became more of myself, but that obviously wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, so I went away and they said, well, maybe you should go and do some more team activities and working with other people outside of work, which is fair enough um, because I hadn't really done any since I left high school. So I went away and did that and emailed them and said, look, you know, I've done all this. Can I come back? And they said, no, here's when you can reapply. I said, okay, fine. <laughs> it's uh, so black and white. Isn't it? It's yeah. Like, nope, that's it. Was, it. That, yeah, that was great. We, we don't have to let you come back. Um, so we're going to give you 
uh, make you come back in a year because then you'll have the best chance of being successful. And that is probably that. true. That is probably true. I mean, yeah. I, I get what they're doing there. You know, it's yeah. what about the process that led up to this? So and we're not always going to talk about this. We're going to go on to some other stuff, obviously, because I think that's important. But the process from when you applied first to when you actually got it's like the invite up to OAC or AIB. I, I hear guys waiting a long time to hear back from um, the people. Is it the careers office you apply through? You walk into a careers office, do you? And you say, I would like to join the military. Not, Is that how you do it? Not so much now. It's you, There's an online service. Okay. Call, you call them, they'll send. When I Certainly when I applied for the Air Force, um, I called them and said, look, I want to apply register my interest and they send me an email link and said all right fill out this application form okay uh, and then it goes to um it goes to your careers office they give you a call and say look come down for a, or an email whatever they did i can't remember come down for your p2 presentation which is a presentation about the air force and they'll play a few videos and do a few team building things just like hi some icebreakers and stuff like yeah, that sure. yeah. um, and that's your chance to take notes on the air force because everything that they show you in that presentation you'll be expected to know for your interview so take notes on that i stupidly forgot to take a notepad um so i recorded everything on my phone and played that back but um yeah take notes at that one and then once you've done that they'll also say well we'll put you onto an aptitude test as well if you're going for an aptitude role so you know pilot yeah um in, in the air force there's, there's a whole whole host of aptitude roles um so then you'll you'll do that, and then you'll go for a a filter interview. I think they're called these days. I'm not 100 percent certain. It, it was a it was a filter interview, and that was an interview with um, I had mine with a flight lieutenant who basically just asked me a series of questions about the air force, about my motivation for joining, um, all that sort of stuff, and some you know some questions about what I'd seen in the P2. And then once you pass that, they'll send you for a medical. I can't remember which order I did it, whether it was a medical first or whether it was the filter interview. And they send you for a medical, and that's with a that's with a capita registered doctor, so that's an external to the Air Force. Okay. Um, now this is generally where the some guys fall down because they've you know they broke their wrist when they were eight, and that's then right. they had to wait for all their paperwork to come through to capita, and then I see it takes ages and ages and ages. And I've heard of people who. Um, who have gone into their doctors knowing that they're going to be pulled up on this and asked for their records and said, I'm going to take these with me to my medical because then that sort of shortens the time people are waiting around. Thankfully, I've not had any major issues that would cause my medical to be held up. So I was, I was fine and passed on the day. Yeah. Um, didn't have to wait for anything, but I know, I know my girlfriend, she, she had to wait because I think she, I think she'd broken her arm or something when she was younger. So she had to wait for the, the capital doctors to write to, her doctors, her doctors would then locate her records and write back to Capita. Capita would then assess it, get her in for another conversation about her records, and then assess her again. And it was just a big long nightmare. And people, you know, people are putting TM, people put, you know, TMU just just because, and then people have to appeal it, and it's it's very long winded. So I think I did okay in terms of timeframes, but I've heard of people waiting like a year and a half yeah. and things like that for, yeah. for for recruiting. Whereas I from application to OASC was nine months, which I didn't think was too bad, really. No, it seems reasonable, yeah. So we would advise people then, can't we, if they can get their own records squared away before they even start thinking about applying, um, yeah. they can take them to the camp of the doctors. I get a lot of guys writing to me about asthma. Um, they've had asthma when they were younger, and I always tell them to go and have a look at um, an air publication called AP 1269 Alpha, so AP 1269A, and if they Google that, um, they find a whole whole load of stuff about what um, uh, what they can get in and what they what they can't get in with. 
asthma under the age of five if you haven't had a recurrence of it you know you're absolutely fine it shouldn't be an issue at all and that's what it says in this document but i was i was talking to the chief of air staff before i left the military and he was saying to me we were doing a a sea drill together where we we're bobbing around in life rafts there was myself him and i think the station commander of coningsby was there as well there's only three of us but i yep. was so we were bobbing around and i was part-time <laughs> flying at the time so i was bobbing around waiting to be eaten by a shark or something out in hollyhead bay and i was saying to him look we're talking about social media and all this kind of stuff. And he says, look, there's a lot of change we've got to go through. It's not just that. It's like, why if a kid's had asthma as a teenager and we can't, we can't find it anymore, he's got none of it. He's, you know, what's, what's so bad about him putting him up in these airplanes? You know, maybe we could just say that he doesn't fly jets, but he can fly everything else. So, yep. you know, we've got to be more open with this stuff. Okay, so a guy's broken his leg when he was a kid and you know, we've got his records. We've got to try and make that work for us and not the other way around. And we're not doing that at the moment. You know, right now we've got these rules that say, no, and the rules come out of the sixties. You know, if you if you ever had that, you can't ever fly. And and actually, you know, we, we can still employ people in different roles. We can just put more restrictions on them. Um, I know guys that yeah, exactly. can't, I know guys that can't fly in a single seat airplane fast jet, but they can fly in a twin seat one. You know, and that's I, I get that. You know, so there are things we can do. But so these rules are changing. If anyone's out there worried about them, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think I think you know you, you lose a, a whole bunch of people who maybe you know absolutely incredible people and incredible pilots just yeah. because you know you're putting these restrictions and not just pilots any role you know you're excluded from most roles aren't you if with yeah. certain conditions so you are, you are. Uh, i get that uh, really but they also the other thing i say to people is look you know this isn't a flying club people can you're never gonna you never have a shortage really of people applying to fly in the military if we're talking aviation and yeah. in, in other roles you're, you're probably not really gonna have that much of a shortage to be honest because People are always going to be attracted to those things. People self-select. Like you selected yourself. You said, I want to go and apply to this. It's not like yeah. the Air Force reached out to you and said, hey, have you thought of applying to us? They don't need to do that, do they? They don't need to no, do that no. in the flying role especially. So, um, But it's interesting, yeah. We'll see how that kind of works out. But it's uh, what was I going to mention down here? Capita, we've kind of spoken about that. Which Yeah. Did I, I don't know if they heard a rumor as well about um, tattoos and beards in the Air Force. Yeah. Um, are the rules changing on that? I'm, I'm sure I heard something about yeah, that. Yeah, I know it, people with um, like full leave, sleeve tattoos now. I think as long as you can cover it with a shirt, whatever, that's that's okay. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I know police officers, I think, have gone through this bit of a transition as well. You, you have to kind of go with the times. You, yeah. The, the society changes. And, of course, the military is a reflection of society. That's it has to be. It's you know, and it's like politicians. They they have to reflect society also. And if society is getting more tattoos, then crikey, that's the way it's going to be. You know, I, I I see a lot of women now with more tattoos than ever. Mm. Um, only fourteen percent of the the air force is women. Actually, it's the highest out of any three services. But um, which I mean, again, is that a reflection of society? No, it isn't a reflection of society, is it? It's for fifty fifty in this, in society. So yep. that balance hopefully will transition. And I think now I saw the other day that the army is going to have the same sort of fitness test. Yeah, I saw that as well. Yeah, gender sort of neutral fitness test, which would be quite interesting. And I think what that's saying is, you know, if you can do the same role as the man, there's no reason why you shouldn't be on the front line. Because women are on the front line, especially as medics now embedded within um, different units. So that's that's all come out. But um, it is becoming a lot more open. And I've I've always said this: it's I don't care who's in that aeroplane next to me, as long as they can do the same job that I'm trying to do. You know, that's yeah, that's absolutely. the thing. Yeah. But um, what do you find like fitness wise? Do you do a fitness test down there as well? Uh, yeah, you do. So it's a bit different between the services. Again, the Air Force don't give you a fitness test until okay. you get to OASC, um, and then it's then it's a bleep test. I check you, uh, their website shows what yep. you um, what you need, and I think they do press ups and sit ups as well. Again, the website for the RAF tells okay. you what what you need to be for your age. Uh, the Navy they give you a pre joining fitness test, so they make you go to a gym 
do a 1.5 mile run on a treadmill. Okay. Um, no press-ups or sit-ups. And then when you get down to AIB, the first thing you do on, so you arrive, it's sort of split over two days. The first thing you do just after lunch, I think it is, is you go for your fitness test and it's it's a run around an AstroTurf um, pitch. Um, I think it's eight times or whatever it is. And the PTI is put on a, a bit of a warm up and run around the pitch and then they do a bit of a cool down as well. So, okay. um, yeah, you do your two, your two fitness tests for the Navy, whereas you just do the one for the Air Force. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, because that's a constant now. Obviously, within the military, we had a fitness test every year. Yeah. Um, I think everyone does. It doesn't matter how old you are. The fitness test changes, I think, when you get over 50, might be, I think, you turn into a cycle thing or something for yeah. guys that are a bit more older. But the beep test is there. That's what we did every every year. And, of course, people shouldn't shy away from that fitness when you join the military. I just, I'm assuming that when people get to LIB and OASC, they pass that test and then they just crack on with the day, yeah? Um. Yeah, you'd you'd expect that, wouldn't you? Um, I think there were, actually failed, are they? <laughs> there were there were a couple of guys who who struggled. Um, I'd probably add that for my AIP fitness test, it was absolutely scorching. Um, I mean, like ridiculous heats. Um, and one of the guys really struggled, but I don't know. I don't know how he was was graded. And I don't. You know, we don't get given our times. They don't tell you, and they don't even tell you if you passed or failed at AIP. They just completely. Thanks for a good try. Wow. Uh, and then you crack. They don't, they don't want you to worry about whether you passed or failed because at the end of the day, if you failed, um, and you you know you failed by not much, I would suggest that if you do really really well on the rest of your AIB, they they say, well, go away, work on your fitness, and we'll yeah. do, do it again. Um, I don't don't take that for the gospel, obviously, because I don't I don't know. Um, no, but people want people past, don't they? I've always said this. I mean, it's not as if they're trying to fail people. It doesn't. It's not anyone's interesting if they can say, "Look, you didn't do great in your fitness test. Why don't you go away and do a bit more, and we'll just have another go, you know, six months time." But the rest of it's fine, you know. I'm sure that's a thing. It's yeah. Work um, and um, sorry, just on a, on the about, about the RAF, the um, the officer, the officers don't go and do um, a fitness test beforehand, but the junior rank guys go and do their pre-joining fitness test again at a gym like i think it's the same gym that they i went to a nuffield gym so oh yeah um, my girlfriend she went she again went to a nuffield gym to do the same was it the same gym i think it was the same gym to go and do her pre-joining fitness test so if you're going as a junior rank in the air force then you do have to go and do a pre-joining fitness test um and then you do your pre-recruit training course and again i think you have another fitness test there um and that's more of a course though rather than a selection like oh. officer recruit selection is obviously the selection whereas you pre-join it your pre-recruit training is you go down i think you go down to halton for three days um and you know you measure up for your uniform and you do a series of sort of numerical and um english tests and things like that and that's just that's i think that's just to grade where you were where you're at rather than to test whether you're in or not i see yeah i um, see, see an improvement or whatever yeah, kind of and they yeah. and, and they they'll put on like remedial classes and things like that for those who need the extra extra help with their English and maths and things like that. I think so, uh, but they do do a fitness test there, so to make sure you're prepared for that as well. That's excellent. So, when you let's have a think about this, then. So, obviously, you're waiting around now to see whether you're going to get through that next stage uh, as pilot in the Navy, and then what I'm assuming is going to happen if they say, "I'm sorry, I didn't make that cut." They may well say, but look, the ATC job's still open. Or, of course, you would have waited a year there for OASC, and then you can reapply back into the Air Force again, can't you? I can't, yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, yeah, the way 
the Navy do it is then when I don't know about the Air Force, well, I don't know about the Air Force, but when the Navy do it and and they sit, the, the selection board sit and decide who is going to be in that next intake, they should look at everyone as a clean slate. So if I've now I've turned down air traffic, they should look at me and say, well, he didn't score enough to be a pilot this time round. Let's offer him air traffic again, but they, they they shouldn't say, well, he's already declined air traffic, so we're not gonna we're not gonna offer him that ever again. Uh, it doesn't work like that. It should be everyone goes in with a clean slate and they'll they'll decide. So it could well be that you know I get offered air traffic again, um, but I'm, I'm not I'm not sure where I would where I would go after October at the moment. It all depends on you know what they offer and and yeah. what they say. Well, you can always ask advice as well. That's what I always say because I'm assuming towards the end of your you're boarding they actually said have you got any questions for us they always they, they tend to say yeah, don't they yeah they they to be fair they're really good so they gave they gave you a debrief um mine was with the commander at aib so um he he gave me a debrief and he was a, an ex lynx pilot i think legend yeah yeah um <laughs> and now much you love helicopters yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. <laughs> um he was he was an ex lynx pilot and i'm sure he, he was um boss at dartmouth at one point as well okay um, i think don't quote me on that um they all have their like narratives on the wall so go okay. and take some time to, to read read what they what they do but yeah he gives you a debrief and he says you know how do you think you've done um and they, they'll tell you whether you'll be you can be reasonably confident or you know you it's 50 50 or whatever whether you're going to get in but they, they can't say for definite you know you've smashed it so expect a place yeah um and I think those conversations are recorded these days because... Oh, in case they kind of, what, misadvise you or something, is that... Yeah, or someone someone goes away and says, you definitely offered oh, me I a see. place. okay. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, well, it's, it's actually quite a fair system, I think, the way they run it. I mean, you've got some mature guys, some very mature guys doing that. In fact, one of the podcasts I'm doing, hopefully uh, in a couple of weeks, I keep putting it off because I know the guy's really busy. It's with um, a good friend of mine, Chris. He's a Lynx pilot as well. He actually displayed the Lynx. In, oh, nice. the, in the Black Cats team, yeah, there were two links displaying. He displayed one of them, so that's. But he's gone into business now, so he left the military. He runs his own business, and so I'm talking to him about that transitional space. So that'd yep. be quite an interesting one. But um, yeah, the key is uh, the only reason I ended up flying jets because I went to the commander up at um, Cranwell, and I walked to his office and I said, "Can I ask your opinion on something?" And he said, "What is it?" And I said, "Look, I really want to fly jets, but everyone else on my course wants to fly helicopters." And I was obviously a naval officer at the time going through flying training until we lost the Sea Harrier back in the valley. That's where I was. So yeah. I said, um, I said, I don't understand. Uh, are we allowed to go jets? And he said, well, you can go to jets if you want to go jets. You know, you know, everyone's scores are all right. And I said, well, I'd like to fly jets if that's okay. And I, I promise I won't let you down. I'll work really hard. And he was like, all right, fine, go, go jets then. No one else has asked. So um, everyone else wants to fly helicopters, it seems. And I was like, okay, I'll um, go back flying then. And then... Eventually, I got stream jets and because I just asked to go jets. So I, I try and get that across to people. If if someone thinks that you don't want to do something, they're not going to offer it to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, true. They, they got to think that, and I get this in Civvy Street now as well, unless you say, hell yes, I really want to do that, people rapidly lose interest in you. Um, people will offer me stuff. They will say, hey, Tim, do you, want, do you want to work with me on this project? And I'm like, well, it sounds great. You know, I have a think about it. And then I don't hear from them again, even though... It's just me not wanting to fully commit into something. So yeah. you've got to, you know, you've got to make sure that when you're sitting in front of these boards and everything that you tell them, as I know you do, because we had a chat about this before, that, you know, this, this means a lot to you. This is what you want to do since you were young. Um, you really want to get in and contribute and add value to the service yeah. as well. Yeah, these, these, yeah, these terms are really important. It's not like I get a load of people 
you know, write to me and say, I really want to be a pilot. It's like, well, that comes secondary. Do you join the service? You know, and that's, want... that's important in my Navy interview as well, was oh, that really? um, they, they said, um, oh, you do know you're more than just a pilot. And I said, yeah, I know, you know, as a, as a naval officer, you have the divisional officer duties. And they expect you to elaborate a bit on that and talk about um, what your role is as a divisional officer and, you know, what you're doing, what you do for the guys you look after. So it's not just it's not just a case of going in there. I mean, I was asked absolutely nothing really about the, the flying training system in my interview for the Navy. Yeah. Um, no, nothing at all. They didn't didn't ask me really. Um, they didn't really ask me much about the naval service at all in terms of where we're operate, where they're operating, what ships they've got, anything like that. It was more just. It was, re- it, was a, it was really informal as well, to be fair. As soon as you got in there, you felt very relaxed. And it, it wasn't structured. It was, give me a brief about yourself. So oh, I just okay. told, told, told them a bit about myself, um, about, about a minute or two. And, I, you know, they then pick the interview questions based on what you say in that in that brief because they, they know nothing about you until you go in. So, yeah. you know, I went in and I said I was, I was in the air cadets, I was head boy, school council, all this sort of stuff. Um, and they were like, okay, tell us about this. And, you know, I was, I was honest as well about my, my OASC failure, um, you know, not getting in yeah. the air force. And they, yeah. they asked me quite a lot about that. And he said, you know, what have you, what have you done about it then? Um, because they, they like to see where you've not succeeded in something, but you've, done something about it rather than just oh i failed at the air force that's it i give up it's yeah. oh i failed about the failed getting in the air force but here's what i've done to you know pick myself up and and focus on going forwards yeah absolutely i've just written an essay about this actually i'm just trying to get the title of the essay now because um you've got to make the title of the essays a little bit clickbaity in order for people to click on them you yeah, know what, yeah, i think yeah. one of the uh one of the titles i came up with i said to my wife what about this one and um <laughs> one of the titles was uh um something like I failed you because it kept you alive or something like this. And it's about a woman that we failed in flying training uh, because yep. um, she hadn't failed before. And if she don't, if you don't fail before and you end up getting on the front line and then you have a failure and you're over North Syria or something, you know, and badness happens, it, it really knocks yep. you and you might not make it back. So we tend to always look for someone who's failed in the flying training system before, because we know then that they're able to rebuild themselves. That makes sense. Which is why yeah. they're asking you about, you know, what did you do after you, you failed OASC? Failure is part of success. It's not doesn't oppose success, as you know. It's failure is a part of everyone that's successful has has gone through some element of failure. And I think the title for the essay at the moment I'm working on is um, something like "Why the Best Fighter Pilots um, Have Been the the Biggest Failures" or something like that. You, you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's contrast, isn't it? It's got to be yeah, contrasty, yeah. but it's um, it's the truth. It's the guys that fly the best out there, and the girls that fly the best are the ones that have. Um, had failure and can and can learn and how can they can use that as energy for them to move on and uh, to make sure they do better in the future so that should come out this week hopefully when i actually finish it because obviously we're super busy aren't we? but no it's important and not to shy away from that as well um when i say failure we know that we're not talking about failure is failure is um uh you're falling over and not getting up again all right yeah and we know that uh, failure is part of success is falling over picking yourself up dusting yourself off thinking why did that happen? And then moving forward. So yeah, when, when we say, and you failed OASC, we know that's not the truth. It's just you weren't successful that time. Uh, and everyone knows this. We just have to use that term. But when someone says to you, so you failed OASC, you know, what are you going to do about it? Well, you, the whole point in your naval interview is not to shy away from that, as you know. It's to, yeah, it's to own that, take it on board. When I failed AIB the first time, I said to them, look, I failed AIB because I was learning about you know, my engineering stuff to pass my exam. And I didn't do much work on learning about the Navy. 
they said to me, um, uh, what was it? Has sea skewer been used in anger before? I think it was something <laughs> like, on the links. I'm like, I, I don't know. And they went, well, there's a lot of Iraqi small boat captains that will that will tell you that it has. And I was like, I should have known that, really. I should, uh, yeah, should have known <laughs> yeah. that. But I, I could tell you about finite element analysis in engineering principles, and that managed to get me uh, my degree instead. So, But I was open about it the second time. I said to them, yeah, yeah. I failed that first one because I was, you know, academically, I haven't been very gifted. And uh, I just wanted to make sure I actually left academia with something tangible. You know what I mean? But that's yeah, good. That that's what they care about, though. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It doesn't matter about um, your past history as long as you said, as long as you have identified the fact that you've um, you've taken it on board and you can learn from it. Again, honesty as well. That's a, that's another important thing. Be honest with them about that. Don't try and hide the fact that, you know, you've, you've failed somewhere or something. You know, I could have gone in there and completely not mentioned anything to do with the Air Force because yeah. I, I, I knew they were going to ask me about it. You know, why have you come to the Navy then if you've, if you've applied for the Air Force? Do you think it's because, you know, yeah. it's easy to get in the Navy or whatever? No, yeah. that's not why. It's because... You know, I sat down and looked at where I wanted to be. And in fact, it wasn't just that, um, you know, because it was the Navy was there and the Air Force wouldn't accept me. It was more I looked into the Navy and where they're operating and, you yeah. know, the different airframes and things like that. And in reality, as a as a fast jet, if you go fast jet pilot in the Navy, then you're going to basically be, you know, with with the Air Force most of the time anyway, aren't you? Yeah, you are. Yeah, um, you are, yeah especially. And if you go if you go helicopter rotary pilot in in the navy then you've got the opportunity to you know be on the ships and go around the world and and you know they've got chinooks and stuff flying off yeah. queen elizabeth and That's so it. you're always going to be integrating with other services you know the, the army integrate with the with the navy with the wildcat so there's people flying all over the place our services are mixed at valley now we've got united states marine corps pilots there we've got uh, um, a guy from belgium we've got i mean there's a whole world it's all international you know don't get me wrong and the same thing in the uk we just People are training all over the place. Um, we've got uh, Navy guys. I think we just sent a Navy guy into Typhoon Squadron. We've got um, most of the guys we graded. We've got F-35 guys come out now. We put a course onto that. I think now we're pausing, but that was you put some more Typhoon guys in. I try and keep in touch with what happens on the yeah. squadron. But, you know, it's a blended mix. It really is. And then remember when the Harrier community was around, um, there were guys, there were naval guys flying on Royal Air Force squadrons and vice versa. And it was a big mix of people. I work with um, a guy now who used to be uh, one of the RAF Harrier guys. And he knows all the guys I know from the Navy and stuff. And just give me all the dits on them, which is quite amusing in its own little way. But yeah, it's all blended. So the thing about the Navy, I, I really like the Navy. I think the Navy picks up a lot of people who uh, maybe academically, like I was, aren't the most gifted people in the world, but they, they're willing to put the work in. Um, they've got expertise in other areas. I think the Air Force, if I'm honest about this, and I'm sure I get criticized by this, but having spent 15 years in the Air Force and five years in the Navy, I've, I might know what I'm talking about in certain areas. I'm not, I might. But um, <laughs> the Air Force tends to be uh, a little bit more, it can, pick, it can pick that real top element. The Navy can as well, of course. But as you said, you didn't even look at the Navy when you were looking to fly airplanes. You looked at the, um, the, the Royal Air Force and everyone does. Yep. Whereas the Navy, it's, it's one, you know, the senior service, incredibly professional, incredibly academic as well. Um, but it really kind of looks at people and says, you know what? You might be a bit of a training risk, but I'll get you in. I'll take you on board and we can work on the inside. I'll get some big hairy chief to knock you about a little bit and we're going to teach you from there. So um, whereas the Air Force may not have that same kind of of attitude. It does when you're in, but of course, as I said, it can it can maybe choose a, a certain different kind of person to come in. I think that's pretty much what that is. So the next stage for you then, you're going to hold out. You're doing some things now to, um, like you talked about the jujitsu, I think it was. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay. Um, so that's, uh, for people who don't know, it's sort of stems from other forms of martial arts. And uh-huh. it's, 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 a form, it's a form of grappling rather than striking. Um, so I got involved with that because my girlfriend's brother does it. And he said, why don't you come along to this? And I thought, oh, you know what? I'm, martial arts isn't really my thing. Sports like that just uh, don't do me but he said you know it's there's no, there's no striking it's nothing like that you just go and do grappling it's quite technical um so i went down and it just got re- really just got into it yeah. and you know it's it's that teaches you a lot about failure as well um i mean you spend the first few months and even now you spend the first few months just getting beat up or tapped in different positions um but you know you don't it's not if you don't learn to pick yourself up afterwards, you just won't go back. Yeah. Uh, and I know, I know Jocko, um, he's a big fan of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and he's talked about it, um, quite a bit about how, you know, you learn to fail basically. Yeah, he does. I mean, that's Jocko Willink, um, him and uh, another guy called Leaf Babin wrote Extreme Ownership, which I think I recommended to your girlfriend to get you because I can't remember yes. what we were talking about at the time, but I remember, uh, it's a, it's a great lesson to, I think ownership is one of those principles and you read that book I mentioned, didn't you? Yeah. Ownership is one of those one of those principles that when you understand the power of it, you never go back. You you understand that okay, we all make mistakes, but it's our mistakes we make it. I go so far as saying if someone does something to me that that I don't like or whatever, it's still my fault because I've I've somehow pushed them into that kind of thing, and I could have probably seen that coming. And I still try and take that on board and say, how could I have done that differently? I've got an example here. I handed a watch in uh, one of my father's watches. I handed it into um, a watchmaker up in uh, well, I got my wife to take it in up on on Anglesey. Yeah. And this watchmaker, there's two of them. There's a son and there's a father. And the father is known to be a bit of a grouchy guy. So I'm on the phone. <laughs> I'm on the phone with this guy. And it was a Brightly my father used to wear, a Navitimer. And one of the pushers, I had two pushers, one was missing. And so I'm on the phone and the guy said, uh, this was the father. He said, so what do you want me to do with this watch? I said, I just want to see whether we can get it back into some kind of condition where, you know, I do a lot of watch work myself because it's yeah. therapeutic and everything. I take them apart, but I'm not going to take apart this Brightling movement from 1968 because I'll trash it, you know. So I said, um, I just want you to, I, I said to the watchmaker, can you just see whether we can get a new pusher or maybe you can do a service on this movement? And he says, well, I don't know. I haven't looked at it yet. I said, I know. I know you haven't looked at it yet. He said, well, how do you expect me to find the pusher? I haven't looked at it. I said, well, the pushers are on the outside of the watch. You know, you can see them, right? But he, he got really, he was like, right, well, I can't, I've got to take the watch apart. I'm like, I, I get that. But is it possible to get a Breitling pusher like in the world ever? Like just the, <laughs> but then after that phone call, I realized that I could have come about that differently. He was reacting to things I was saying. And even though I thought I was being reasonable, I didn't know what kind of day he was having. Yeah. So, you know, I could have done that differently. And I, I go back over that and I evaluate that. And I, I own that responsibility for that phone call. Like, I Maybe I could have just said to him, listen, I'm going to give you a call in a week's time and I'm going to write this stuff down. Maybe that's better for yeah. the way we communicate. So, But Jocko Willink and uh, Leif Babin in their book, that's Extreme Ownership, they talk about these things. They use the business context and they use the context of fighting in Remind Me Where They Were. It wasn't... Oh. Uh, Aramadi. Ah, uh, was it? Yeah. Not Fallujah, no. Uh, okay, that was... Yeah, I think you're right. It was, wasn't it? Um, and they were in a Marine Corps unit that took a lot of casualties out there, um, which is a quite interesting book. So that's a good one to read. What else have you read that might help people? I'm trying to think. Um, you anything on the go at the moment? What have I... No, I'm. I'm. I'm in at the moment. I'm in the middle of a, a Royal Navy over the past hundred years book oh, yeah. that I picked up from um, Portsmouth a couple of weeks ago. Um, okay. So that's quite interesting. But um, in terms of books to read, you recommended Teams of Teams. Standing with Crystal. I, yeah. Yeah, which I read a bit of, but it's it quite going. difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a heavy read. Yeah. yeah, and some some of it I'm just 
the good thing about the Jocko book is it applies it to scenarios, whereas yeah. Team of Teams, I, I read it and I'm like, I get that, but how does that help me move forwards and apply it to something? And, um, and you maybe know I just didn't read into it too much. That's really interesting you say that because the book I'm writing and I'm rewriting because I didn't like, uh, my publisher liked it, I didn't like it because it wasn't me, it wasn't authentic, right? So I'm just rewriting the middle bit. I'm just actually looking up now on the computer here to work out what books I've been reading lately. And in fact, I've got my phone here and I, I look on this. Um, I am also trying to uh, relate all these decisions, the books on decision making. So I'm trying to relate that back, just like you're saying, I'm trying to relate it back to um, events that have happened throughout my flying career so that I can say, like I do with the posts I write, like I do with the essays I write, I say, this has happened and this is what you can do about it. It's not the easiest thing in the world, though, but um, I'll try and get some of those books up now because if we can get a couple of book recommendations or something out of people. I read a book called um, The Rise and Fall of the Royal Navy before I went to my Airbnb. <laughs> they How did that hate, go? They hated that, and it was. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize. I thought it was supposed to be this. T- I, I, honestly, they hated it. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, talk about digging a hole. I, I was like, I'm so sorry. I thought, I thought it was. They were like, so you think the navy's failed? <laughs> I yeah. It took me a long time to get out of it. It really did. It wasn't the best I mean, book to write. You could you could have probably gone for the rise of the Royal Navy and just left it there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stop, stop reading after that bit. The, the meteoric rise of the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I got myself into trouble. I didn't realize. And then when I was at Dartmouth, I made an even bigger mistake because I wrote an essay on. Um, I don't know why this happens to me, but um, <laughs> we had to we had to write essays on. You have to write essays every every term, whatever. And one of the yeah. ones I wrote, I had an uncle who'd been. Um, involved in uh in argentina he was doing a lot of uh stuff for charity work and he'd been out there and he was talking about las malvinas which is what they call the falcon islands and, and everything else because when they belong they believe it belongs to argentina and let's not get down there shall we yeah. <laughs> let's let's stop that right now but um we were talking about it and we we're talking about the sinking of um the belgrano by the conqueror which is a submarine and whether he felt it was an illegal act because it was outside of the exclusion zone, whatever it's called. But of course, it was doing anti-submarine maneuvers, which meant it was still on a tactical patrol, whatever, but it was sailing away. I wrote an essay about this. And being an idiot, I argued controversially from the other way around that um, maybe what we did in that time back in 82 was uh, against, um, against the laws at the time. And again, they were really good, the Navy. They really liked it. But I did have to go and have an interview with the commander of the college. <laughs> but they, they love it. I mean, don't get me wrong, but it was a hats on. It was like, come in, stand still. This is what your essay's done to us. I lost the essay. And my kid brother said that he found it the other day. So I'm going to try and have a read of that. I'll try and publish it on the site or something to um, give people a laugh. But they do encourage uh, alternative viewpoints. But the Navy is very proud of its history. So be yeah. careful if you're going to go challenging that. Right, so I think I've got my Kindle up, and I'm going to uh, see whether I can... Oh, yeah, here we go. This is my one. What have I been reading recently? I don't know whether I would advise you to read any of these, to be honest. Uh, I'm reading a lot about financial stuff at the moment, and, you know, 2008 financial breakdown, all that kind of stuff. Uh, what about... I don't think we've gone through this. I'll edit this bit out. What, where are we at? 101. We better, we better wrap this up soon. Yeah, I, fine. I did read, um, a, what's that? Depressive Illness, The Curse of the Strong was quite interesting. I'm not saying read that, but the reason I read it was because when I had my, my moment back in 2012, when I got back from Afghanistan, that book written by uh, a guy called Dr. Tim Cantifer talks a lot about um, mental health and how it only happens to strong people. And that helps quite a lot. So if you ever find yourself in, you know, losing it a little bit, go and read that. There was a good book, um, Matthew Side, Black Box Thinking, 
that um, Matthew Bopside also wrote Bounce, but this talks about a black box thinking is about how the aviation industry uses and learns from its failures and, and everything else. The medical industry don't. They're still quite behind. And I gave a talk to the NHS, must have been about a month ago. They still haven't paid. Um, <laughs> that's a standard if you ever go speaking. It's like, yeah, they're not paying either. Brilliant. That'll come the NHS has got no money, no money uh, to pay either, have I they? I know, that's right. Yeah, I'm like, oh, God, I already cut the price in half. You know what I mean? But and they're lovely people. They're all surgeons. Um, but I mentioned a lot about black box thinking there because they're on a bit of a change now, the NHS. And in fact, one of the guys there when I spoke, he was he was doing my job, but to surgeons. So he was teaching okay. surgeons surgery, whereas I was teaching instructors instruction. And he said that um, one of the things I was talking about was um, the, the what ifs. Uh, so you plan for failures in the event you're going into. So for flights, we'd always talk about bird strikes or engine failures or, you know what I mean, all that kind of stuff or poor weather. Yeah. So we'd say, what are we going to do when this? In fact, one of the guys flying out of Afghan in his helicopter, he always used to brief his crew when the engine fails. I think John Dunn was talking about that last week. He wouldn't say if we have an engine failure. He was saying when we have an engine failure. So the whole crew was ready for it. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was talking to his surgeon about that, saying, you know, we, we plan for these things. He's, he was like, that's amazing. We never do that. He said, um, I'm going to do that from now on. I'm going to wait for something to happen. And then after it happens, I'm going to take the surgeon back outside. And I'm going to say, why didn't you brief the possibility that that would have happened? Which, yeah. and if you think now you're making a difference to people, that's quite interesting. Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed. Um, he talks a lot about that inside. That, oh, Deep Work by Cal Newport is the other one. And I'm interested in Deep Work. So that's something you want to have a look up. Not you personally, because I know you've done it already, but people out there thinking about focus and getting into flow states. Cal Newport is a professor at, I do not know, without clicking on his book, um, he's in America somewhere. It might be MIT or something like that. He is in computers or something or maths or something. But he writes about deep work and uh, the ability to get in your zone for a period of time and really hammer some stuff out. There's a lot of shallow work going on. And uh, yeah, deep work is something that we're not very good at. I'll leave those those books, Cal Newport, um, deep work. I'll leave those books out there really just um, for people if they want to be interested in that. that yeah, is awesome. I read... Um... Tony Robbins, Unlimited oh, yeah. Power. Um, that was quite good. Um, quite interested. It was just about, you know, how you can achieve things um, that you want to achieve, really, um, but without having to put all the hard work that, well, that's, that's the way it came across, without having to put all the hard work in that maybe someone else has done previously, you just go and copy off what they've done and you know, improve yourself. Just, yeah, that's right. you know, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you want to be a surgeon, for example, you go and shadow another surgeon and copy what they've done and then learn from it and do your own thing. Absolutely. And um, I get that. In fact, what I'm writing at the moment is my own story because I was delivering this content with another guy up in um, Leeds uh, last week, as I was saying. He briefs himself every morning. And this is this sounds a bit weird. I'm not saying to do this at all. But what I know, it's like, what do you mean you brief yourself? But when he's on like a treadmill or whatever, you know, he's telling him this, this thing. He's saying, you know, he eats healthily or whatever or he does fitness every day. And he's got these 10 things that he tells himself whenever he wakes up and it's a way of the mind um getting in tune with where you want it to be so if you have an unhealthy diet at the moment but you wake up every morning you say to yourself i eat healthily i, I am a guy that eats healthily you know uh you can be more specific if you want you can say i'm a guy that doesn't eat bread or you know but eventually yeah. <laughs> eventually when you get up uh, when, when you start doing a lot more you know you want to make these things uh, a bit more general a bit more powerful uh, so he does that. So I'm looking at that. I'm like, well, what do I do? Who I am and am I now is self-actualization really, isn't it? Uh, you know, where do you want to be in the future? Because I'm not overly convinced I want to be contracting, but I'm not overly convinced I want to be delivering content the whole time either. So I'm, 
I'm trying to work out. Now I've got a chance to think, having been just you know, having just left the military after 20 years. But that's an interesting one. But Tony Robbins, yeah, Tony Robbins, he's a funny one. I did a lot of mm. Tony Robbins stuff, but I, I'm not overly convinced that you just got to take bits from him and bits from other people and bits from your own. You know, you're right. It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, mash it all together. Don't really, yeah. don't, don't follow one guy and just be like, I'm, I'm going to follow this guy. It's... Unless it's me. Unless it's me. Follow yeah, me. Of course, Obviously. follow all You've got to say that. <laughs> yeah, follow Tim. Only Tim. Because I'm on his podcast. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's brilliant. All right. Well, look, Carl, I really appreciate you being on. No, uh, thank good. you for it's your good. amazingly wise words for the for the uh, the people to listen to. We've done an hour now. If I drag it out anymore, people will just turn off. But um, yeah. I really appreciate it. Okay? Yeah, thanks, Tim. No worries. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. All right, guys. So I'm just going to add a bit here because um, if you remember, Carl left it that he was waiting for the Navy to get back to him with some scores and he would he deferred his air traffic entry and said, look, thanks very much, but uh, I'm just going to hold out to see whether I can get the pilot one. So he sent me a text back a couple of days ago and seeing as I took a while to process this, I thought I'd just read that to you. I'm not going to read out the whole text because it talks about his girlfriend and some other stuff, but he does say here, uh, good afternoon, Tim. The results are in for Navy today. I've been offered observer on the basis that my aptitude score wasn't competitive enough for pilot. I think I'm going to take the job. And don't think that there's like a different levels observer pilot. It's just that you're, you're better for one or better for the other. It's just how it works out. So I wrote back and said, that's awesome. Well worth holding out for. I bet they thought you'd be a great naval officer for taking the risk, that risk of holding out, getting rid of that thing that he really wanted, just maybe get something else that he wanted a little bit more. I said, enjoy Dartmouth. It's a great education and filled with such history. Now, he wrote back to me again, and I speak to Carl, and I speak to a lot of people. Um, I do want to say and point out, though, that I'm not a recruitment service for the military. So I know when you're 14, 15, 16, and you want me to give you information and stuff, it's all on the website, guys. It's all there. But if you've got something specific, like something that you just can't find out the answer to, then hit me up, whatever, on emails, Twitter, whatever it is, and I'll try and help you out. Um, but I can't. I had one the other day that said, um, Tim, uh, give me a call. I'm interested in joining the Air Force. Never going to happen. Fact. And he said, second off, if you want to write me an email instead, but I'd really like to meet up, not going to happen, okay? Uh, I've got a life, not much one, but I've got a life. I've got to try and live it. Uh, he said here, because he wants to go on a commander carrier, and um, he said, thank you for all your help and support through what has been some absolutely tough times. I'm truly blessed with the support network I have all around me. And I honestly say I wouldn't have made it this far without your contribution. So that's great. You know, I feel special. He feels special. I like to think then 20 years after I joined the Navy, there's someone else going into the Navy and I had a bit of a part of that. So I think he's going to do very well. Um, I think it's going to be absolutely great. So uh, if you guys are out there, I've got more information, OSC, AIB, going through Sandhurst, you want to jump on a podcast, talk it out. That'd be awesome. Okay. I'll leave it there, guys. Thanks so much. Tim Davies, Fast Ship Performance.